So we arrive at our, our final and fifth study together on the general theme, the way of life, which has been very uplifting, I'm sure you agree. Our fifth study is entitled, Service is Not an Option, and we thank our brother Bob for delivering that now. Well, good afternoon, my beloved brothers and sisters, young people and friends. <laughs> After a meal, it's easy to go to sleep, isn't it? I didn't think you'd go so quickly. <laughs> I, I think you're feeling like a sister that I met in New Jersey about 20 or 30 years ago. I was invited to New Jersey for a study weekend like this, except it was a heavier schedule than this. I spoke Friday night, and then I spoke five times on Saturday and three times on Sunday. And uh, I arrived on the Friday, and we went to, to the hall, and they had a basement, and they served a supper in the basement. And I'd just gotten my food, and I was looking for a place to sit down to eat, and a sister came in and said, are you Brother Lloyd? And we'd never seen each other before. I said, yes. She said, I'm sick and tired of listening to you. <laughs> so I, I think you would agree with her now. <laughs> and then she starts laughing. Now, what had happened is that she lived in Florida. And this study weekend was in New Jersey. And she was driving up for it. That's like driving maybe from Melbourne to Brisbane. And it's up the east coast, of, from the bottom of America up towards the top. And uh, her brother in the flesh, and brother in the truth too, had given her a bunch of we used cassettes then. We didn't have uh, these discs and stuff. But he, he'd given her a, a stack of my tapes. I, I didn't, never met this sister. And she listened to me, she said, all the way from Florida to New Jersey. <laughs> By the time she got there, she was sick and tired of listening to me. <laughs> So I think you can sympathize and, and, and relate to her because you've been listening to me all weekend. And I want to thank you for your patience and enduring. They talk about suffering the word of exhortation. I know sometimes it is suffering. <laughs> well, this is our last time together, at least for this, for this weekend. I'll be seeing some of you again because I'll be in town for another week for other things. But for most of us, uh, I know a lot of you have to do some traveling today. Kuna Bear Brand is not around the corner. So uh, there'll be others of you going uh, quite great distances, perhaps this afternoon. So uh, this is our last subject that we'll consider on the way of life. And there are a lot of people, and some of them are Christadelphians. And they are not winners, they are winners, W-H-E-N-N-E-R-S. And this is how it goes. <clears throat> if they're a young person, they say, well, when I graduate, then I'll do something for the Lord. <clears throat> and then I say, well, when, when I uh, get a job, uh, I'll begin to do something for the Lord. <clears throat> well, w when I get a car, and then when I get a car that will run, when I get married, when we have children, or when the children are a little older, or when the children are grown, or when I retire, and they've gone through their whole life do, going to do great things for the Lord when, not now, when something happens. And what do those old people say after they've retired? 
Remember the good old days when? <laughs> and some people never live in the moment. They're always going to do something when something happens. The only moment you have to live is now, right now. You can't live tomorrow and you can't live yesterday. And so uh, let's stop being winners and begin being doers. And so we're going to talk about doing, and service is not an option, and you have got to get to work. Brothers and sisters, young people, the time has now come for our classes to, go, to be over, and we've got to get to work. And what does that mean? That means you've got to find a work to do, and you need to do it. So what talents do you have? Now, there's many answers to that question, as there are people. God has never made another, this kind of blows me away, but God has never made up another person ever, not since Adam and Eve, till right now, just like you. Now, we didn't know about DNA when I was a boy, but we, I also knew then that no two people were alike. But now there's no two fingerprints alike. There's no two DNAs alike. You are unique. You are special and you are God called. And so you have a talent or talents and you've got to use them for him. It's, this is not an option. This is not a choice. Do you know that God did not give Moses the 10 suggestions? Those were commands. And we are commanded to go out and work for the Lord. And don't say, well, I can't do nothing. There's no such thing as a no-talent Christadelphian. God's called you, and it means you've got something to do, and you've got to find it and start doing it. And so we just read in Romans chapter 12, in NIV it says, verse 6, we have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. So you have a work to do, and this afternoon we're going to try to figure out what it is. And when you go out those doors, you're going to resolve, I hope, God willing, that you're going to get busy doing it, whatever it is you decided to do for God. Now, there's an old saying which has got a new modern twist. And you've all heard the old saying many times, but I'm going to give you the new modern twist. And this is the way the new saying goes. Anything worth doing is worth doing poorly until you can learn to do it better. Now, that's not the saying that you've heard all your life, but this is the one we're going to talk about this afternoon. Far too many people hold back doing nothing because they want to do it perfect when they do it. And since they will never do it perfect, they have a good excuse for not doing it at all. Now, just imagine if you wanted to learn to swim and you had never swam, and you went to a swimming pool or the ocean and you hired a swimming instructor. We'll assume it's a swimming pool because then you can stand on the edge and jump in. And you explain to the teacher, you've paid the money and he's going to teach you to swim. He said, I'm not going to get in that water until I swim perfectly. You ain't never going to learn to swim. You have to jump in the water. You have to thrash around a little bit. You have to learn how to put your head under, and eventually you learn to swim poorly. And if you keep practicing swimming poorly, eventually you will swim expertly. But you start off doing it poorly. So don't stop, don't 
give yourself the excuse of not starting to do something because, well, I can't do that well. You can always find somebody that can do whatever you can do better than you can do it. Not in my talk, but someone mentioned yesterday, they remember my D and four Bs, and it fits. Doing your best is better than being the best. No matter what you're asked to do for the Lord, there's somebody can do it better than you. And so we'll get them to do it instead of me. That's a cop-out. If you're asked to do something, do it. Well, somebody else can do it better. I'm not arguing that. You, we, we've had many people playing the piano this week. They all did their very best. Doing your best is better than being the best. Not one of the piano sisters or brothers that played this weekend could play like maybe Liberace. He don't play very good at all. Now he's dead. But, but there are professional photographers, uh, uh, pianists, that can play better than anyone in this room can play. I mean, they are experts. So don't you try it. You wait till you're as good as they are, and you ain't never going to do it. So if you're asked to do something, you say yes. And you practice, and you do it the best you can do. And doing your best is better than being the best. You'll never be the best there is, but God doesn't ask you. You're not in competition with anybody in the world. God is only asking you to do your best for him. And so if Peter has something to say on this in 1 Peter 4, verse 10. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others faithfully, administering God's grace in all its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. So as we journey through our life on the way of life towards the kingdom, uh, you have to find something to do and do it. And the fact that you don't do it well is no excuse not to do it. Do it poorly until you get better at it. So what are you going to do? That's, that's what we're going to talk about this afternoon. You and I have got to find something to do. And then we have to get in the, in the, jump in the water, so to speak, and get busy doing it. So experiment a little bit. Ask yourself questions. What can I do? Look, look for a need and try to fill it. All around us, there are others who need our help. And all we have to do is, we talked this morning about a cup of cold water. So Brother Simon and I are going to act out a little thing here about a little story which teaches a, a lesson. And I better explain this before we get, get him up to do it. Because I've done this before, but I, didn't, I used to do it years ago before I had what's called neuropathy. Neuropathy is when you can't feel your feet. And first my feet went dead, and then my legs, and then my rear, and now my right hand. So I can't even feel them. So you can't hurt my feelings. I don't have any anymore. <laughs> but when I go to the neuropathist, the neurologist, he always makes me take off my shoes, and you walk like this, and I cannot do it. I absolutely cannot do that. And if I've ever pulled over by a police officer and given a sobriety test, I'll flunk the sobriety test cold sober because I cannot do that. So Simon doesn't realize he's got a bigger job on his hand this afternoon than I used to have. But the story we're going to act out is this. We're all a bunch, just imagine we're all a bunch of young kids, see. Just go back a few years for some money. And we're out playing in a field. And we run across an abandoned railroad track in this field. And there was a spur that went there one time and it stopped being, it's all covered with weeds. And so, as kids do, oh, there's some railroad. And we all start walking the rail. But 
because none of us are highway, high, high wire experts, we would walk a few steps and fall off. But Simon and I, we are smart kids, I'll tell you that. <laughs> and, and we get together and we whisper in each other's ear and then we announce to all of you, we can walk the entire length of this railroad track and not fall off. And you being typical young kids, you say, oh yeah, prove it. So Simon's going to get on one rail, and I'm going to get on the other. And this, 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 just imagine there's railroad tracks here, see? Now you're going to, you're going to have to really help me, because I can't do this. <laughs> so we, we walk the rail together. Now my question is, did I pick Simon up, and am I carrying him? No, he's too big, I can't carry you. So, so what's happening? We are reaching across the rail and holding hands together so that together, each of us can do what neither one of us can do without the other. And did we carry each other? No, we just held hands. We just extended our hand to help somebody study, study them when they would have fallen. And I would have fallen flat on my face. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> the lesson is worth remembering. There are some certain things that none of us can do alone, but two can. Solomon says two are better than one. We, we need to team up. Even the Lord Jesus, when he sent his 12 apostles out, he sent them out by twos. He didn't send them out by ones, 12 directions. He sent them out by twos and six directions. And so we can help each other, but you have to be conscious of the others and you have to be willing to reach your hand out and hold theirs in order to steady them as they steady you. We help the other one. Now in Romans chapter 12, verse 4, we have, which we read, each of us has just one body, but it, your body has many members. You know these. You've heard, read this many times. Now in Christ, you see, we're all different. Not two, one, no, no two of us are alike. But we're all one body. This is the body of the Christadelphians. And it takes all of us to make one body. And Paul says, we have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it's serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. See, there's all kinds of things you can do, but there is something you can do. And we have to find it, and then we have to begin to do it. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give it generously. Leadership, let him govern diligently. Showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Sometimes we do something, but we spoil it by not being cheerful about it. I got to go see old Sister Jones and the rest of them. Boy, I hate to go there. Well, how are you today anyway? I got to go. I'm glad I got to see you. Sometimes we can leave people worse off than we found them if we don't do it cheerfully. So if you have something to do, decide that you're going to do it with vigor, you're going to do it cheerfully, you're going to care about people, and you're going to throw yourself into the work. Now, I'm blessed to have owned a little company, and I, people ask me if I'm retired, and I say, no, I'm just semi-retired. I go to work three days a week, but I don't do anything. <laughs> and they think it's a joke, but it's pretty true. <laughs> I have no duties at work. I have an office, but uh, I, I hardly ever sit in it because I, I have no 
nothing to do when I get there except what I do. We have 32 employees and 10 of them are Christadelphians. So we're almost a third of our company are Christadelphians. But I go around to each desk and talk to the people that work for me and just encourage them. I ask their supervisors, each, we have a number of departments and each department has a supervisor that runs that department. I ask, how, how is Jane doing? How is Betty doing? How is Sandra doing? And they tell me, and then I go to Sandra, I say, Sandra, the boss just said, you're doing a fantastic job. I just want to thank you for that. <gasps> really, did he? I, I don't know why people don't tell people when they, because I tell them, you tell them, but, but they don't. So I go and find out how good they're doing, and then I go and tell them what the boss said. And they're, and they're so thrilled that some, and so <laughs> that's one of the things Romans 12 said to do. <laughs> if it's encouraging, then encourage. You know, it doesn't cost anything to pat somebody on the back. I mean, they, they, I walk away from their desks and they feel better for it. In fact, when I'm away on a trip like this, I, when I come back, they may be saying because I'm the boss, but they all say, well, we missed you. In fact, sometimes the girls say, who is this strange man that just walked in? Because I'm gone so much that sometimes they pretend they don't know who I was. But, but we have a great little company and a wonderful group of Christadelphians work there. And, and my job is just encouraging them. I, I don't do any of their work. I don't even know how to do. I started off this company 53 years ago by myself. It was a one-person company. And now we have 32 employees. And, and, and I am totally worthless in my own company. I have a computer on my desk, but I don't know how to turn it on. <laughs> and what happens, uh, sometimes I go in there and it's, it's missing. Because what happens with, with that many employees, sometimes a computer goes down. Oh, we'll go get Bob's, he doesn't use it anyway. And so my computer will be gone for a few days and then I come back and it's back again. They've got the other one fixed. So they realize that I, I have no contribution to make except to encourage. But you cannot minimize how important that is to people. And so this is the body of Christ. And you need to be encouraging each other. Say, think of something nice and say it. Call them up and say it. Write them a note and say it. Send them an email and say it. But you should be telling somebody, at least one a day, something encouraging. I heard a nice thing about you. Now, I just talked to my wife this morning. It's Saturday over there. I said, we're so far ahead of her. But I'm going to go back in time, and when I get home, I will be on the same schedule again. Schedule, excuse me. But... Uh, so it's Saturday there, and I got up early to call her because she was going to a wedding. We have a big wedding in our hall this afternoon, and the people that are getting married are people that I'm very fond of, and I've gone to their wedding showers, and I, the, the, the bride's father, father, grandfather was my best man in my wedding, and so I know all these people really well. And actually, the groom is related to me through marriage. You know, we Christians always get related to everybody and I would like to have been there. In fact, I had planned to come. And then I said to the bride and groom one Sunday, guess what? I'm on my way to Australia at the time of your wedding. Because the wedding is Saturday, although Saturday is, yes, is we're a day ahead of them. But it's Saturday over there right now, and the wedding is going on right now. But 
we gave them as much encouragement as we could. And I even kissed the bride before I left. You know, I got a, I got a preview. <laughs> but there is something. Is, no, there's lots of things each of us can do. And the thing is, we, we don't get as busy doing what we ought to be doing. And so that, 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 that's what this class is all about. It's our last class. And service is not an option. And, and so you've got to figure out what to do. And then if you do it poorly, that's okay. Just keep on doing it poorly until you get better at it. And if you practice it, practice makes perfect. And you will do, do it better. Paul said to the Galatians, make a careful explore, exploration of who you are. Explore with yourself and the work that you have been given. And then sink yourself into that. Now that's a modern translation, but it's a lot of, find out what you can do and then start doing it. That's what Paul says. So we need a little self-examination this afternoon. What do you enjoy doing most? When do you feel most fully alive? What, what, what are you doing when you completely lose track of yourself and lose track of time? Do you like routine or do you like variety? Do we prefer to serve others or serve ourselves? Well, you know the right answer to that one. Are we more introverted or extroverted? You know, see, on some of these, there's no right and wrong answer. I, I just got a letter from a sister in architecture because I'm trying to get them all to send a card or a letter or to every member. Once a week, you send one to another member. And so this sister writes me an email. Well, Bob, and she says, we're not all like you. And I'm not, you could tell she was glad of that. <laughs> and, and she says, uh, uh, I'm, an ex, I'm an introvert. She says, I just do not deal with, well with people. And, and I just think it's crazy. She didn't use the word crazy. To, to send a card to somebody. And they'll know that uh, I, I did it because they're on my list. I'm getting cards from people. And I know I'm on their list. But I'm, I'm so thrilled to see, hear from them. See, she, she's justifying doing nothing because she's an introvert. Well, I don't deny she's an introvert, and that's not a sin. I do deny that being an introvert means you don't do anything. Uh, it may be hard for her to talk to people in person. She could write a note. She, she can do something. And I keep saying to these people, doing nothing can never be right. So I'm saying that to you this afternoon. Uh, find out what it is you can do and, and then begin to do it. Our goal is to stay within the boundaries of God's plan for us, said Paul to the Corinthians. The word boundaries refers to the fact that God assigns each of us a field or sphere of, of service. If the service is a service we're best cut out to perform and we're to run with patience the race that God has set before us. Not everybody has, can run the same race. On a track team, you have the marathon runners, you have the intermediate runners, and you have the dashes. You have people who do the pole vault, people who do the broad jump. They all have different talents, but they're all on the same team, and they're all contributing to the success of the team. So let every man learn to assess properly the value of his own work. This is Paul now. See, I'm, this is not my ideas. I am sharing to you inspired words, uh, ideas coming right from the God's word. Let every man learn to assess properly the value of his own work, and he can then be glad when he has done something worth doing without depending on the approval of others. Now, now you should never compare yourself to someone else. Reason? There's nobody else ever been just like you. 
So you will not be like anybody else. And so it's important that we do not compare ourselves. Because there's two reasons why not to compare yourself to other people. You can always find somebody and you, and you say, I could never do what they do. That's going back to the D and four Bs. I could never play the piano like that. And I couldn't. You're right about that. And I cannot sing like some of you can sing. I, I admired that you. I, mean, I know there's things that I cannot do. But there's something I can do. But, so, but, but, but if you compare yourself to someone else, you'll say, well, I could never do as well as they do. So therefore, I won't accept the position. The, all the ones that played the piano today could have said, there is somebody in this world plays the piano better than me. Get them. And they may, they may not even be Christadelphians. You've been asked to play it. Get the hymns in it. My wife plays the organ for our ecclesia. If I tell you this, you won't tell on me, will you? She's not the greatest organ teacher, player in the world. <laughs> she works very hard at it. She gets very nervous. She asks the presiding brother a week in advance for the hymns. If you want to really throw my wife, just come to our meeting and exhort on a Sunday she's going to play the organ and tell the presiding brother when you get up there, oh, I'd like to change the hymns. <laughs> you throw my wife into a real tizzy. But she does the best she can with what she has right where she is. And that's all any of us can do. So she practices those hymns, and then she plays them. And afterwards, she'll say, oh, I made a mistake. Did you hear that mistake I made? And I said, no, I didn't hear it. I'm not that musical. You know. I said, you did fine. Oh, no, I meant, well, life will go on. The world will keep spinning around, even if you did make a mistake. It's OK to make mistakes. Not that you plan on making them, but it's better to do something and make a mistake than to do nothing. And the people who do nothing say, well, I never made a mistake. Well, that's right, because I never did. And the biggest mistake you can make is the mistake of not doing anything. So find something to do and start doing it. And if you don't do it right, then do it poorly. And keep on doing it poorly until you get better at it. So Paul says, we do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves among themselves, they are not wise. So two reasons not to, to, to compare yourself. Number one, you can find somebody who can do it better than you, so therefore you don't want to try because they do better. And then the other reason you shouldn't compare yourself is, I do it a lot better than her or him. You know. And then you get puffed up. Well, I, I don't make as many mistakes as she makes. And both of those attitudes are wrong. You see, if we're all doing the best we can do, even though we're doing it poorly, we, we should work at trying to get better. I don't, I'm not saying that doing a poor job is, 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 is the best thing to do, but I'm saying it's better to do a poor job than to do no job. And so whatever it is you're asked to do, try it. Do it. Practice it. If you're asked to exhort, you know, uh, over in our way, when we have a new person baptized in our ecclesia, they are assigned a mentor for one year. And every week for an entire year, the mentor meets with the newly baptized person. They read a book together. They pick a book of the Bible, and they both will read it, and they'll discuss chapters. Now, I was a mentor not too long ago with a young brother who was uh, a very shy young brother. And I figured he needed to be encouraged to learn how to exhort. So every week, I would give him a, a little subject. And I said, this week, prepare me a five-minute exhortation on love, joy, peace, long-suffering, whatever. 
And that week he would work on that talk. And the next week when we got together, he would give me his five-minute exhortation on it. I was trying to break the ice for him to get into it. And so when he gave his first exhortation, I praised him for it because he'd, he'd made a big effort. He was doing it poorly, but he was doing the best he could at the time. He's, and I, I told him how much I appreciated his efforts. He said, well, you've heard all that before because those things that those things I practiced on you. But the point is, you, you need to have this caring attitude for each other and encourage each other in the work. I don't know if you have that role over here or not, but you know, we made the mistake in the early days of, of work going to someone's home every week to help them get baptized. I used to go to a home of a, a man and a woman. They're both dead now, long dead. They were old enough to be my parents. I was just a young, young fellow with three little children. But every week I went to their house and talked about uh, the first principles for preparing them for baptism. And finally, they, they were not quick learners. They were very nice people, but they were definitely not quick learners. And after two years, they were ready to be baptized. And we, we baptized them. And I said, Phew. And the next week, I didn't go. And I stopped going. And they come in and says, Bob, we miss your visits. I thought, well, you're baptized now. <laughs> Mission accomplished. You know, get, get on with it. Now, I didn't say that. But, <laughs> but you see, we learned from those kind of mistakes that, that a person, once they're baptized, they're, they're, not, they're still a babe in the truth. What happens when you have a baby born in your household? How often do you feed it? Every four hours, night and day, four o'clock feeding. I mean, father and mother want to sleep and that baby's crying. Four o'clock in the morning, go back to sleep. No, it's, you've got to get up and feed that baby because it needs nourishment often because it's a baby. And when we baptize somebody, they are a babe in Christ. And they need to be fed, maybe not at 4 o'clock in the morning, but don't abandon your newly baptized people. Say, well, now you're baptized. I'll go on to somebody else. Uh, that's all right to go on to somebody else, but don't neglect the new ones in your ecclesia. They, 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 they need you, and they need you for a very long time. So we don't compare ourselves to each other, and uh, we try to help those that need a little word of encouragement. Now, whenever you do anything, there's always going to be somebody that's going to criticize you. There's lots of people who sit back, they don't do anything, but they sure criticize what everybody else is doing. So John Bunyan said something that was interesting. He says, if my life is fruitless, it does not matter who praises me. <laughs> and if my life is fruitful, it does not matter who criticizes me. So you sort of sometimes in the Christadelphian body have to develop a, a, what I call a thick skin. <laughs> you, you have to do the best you can and if somebody comes up and criticizes, I mean if you want to know how to raise kids just ask somebody who doesn't have any. <laughs> you know they can always tell people who have kids how to do it till they get one their own. Then, wow it's a different story you see. We all seem to know how to do things we've never done before. Over our way, we have a, a saying, hire a teenager while they're still a teenager and know everything. 
because over our way we have this feeling, I'm sure it's not true of the young people in Australia, but they're like the, the young cat in the story this morning, went to cat college and thought they knew everything. And uh, as you get older, you, can't, you keep realizing how little you do know. Mark Twain ran away from home when he was about 15 or 16. He thought his daddy was the stupidest guy he'd ever met. He came back at 25, and he couldn't realize, couldn't get over how much his father had learned in that short time. <laughs> now, what had happened is Mark Twain had grown up in the meantime. And so back, remember that first little card you got? Please be patient with me. God is not finished with me yet. We need to use those all the time because young people need to ask older people, be patient with me. I'm, God's not finished with me yet. And the young, old people need to say to the young people, you know, be patient with me. I, I don't get around like I used to, but God's not finished with me yet. Because you see, you all are either green and growing or you're ripe and rotting. I mean, when fruit finally gets ripe, it begins to rot. And if you just sit back and say, well, I've been baptized now. I don't have to do anything. You begin to rot. So no matter how old you are, we all need to keep this attitude that we're green and we're growing. And God is not finished with us yet. And we're trying to do better. So Jesus told us stories along these lines. He talked about giving people talents. He gave one ten talents, one five, one one. Nobody got the same amount of talents. They were all different. So you see, that's why you don't compare yourself to somebody else either. Their talent is not the same as yours. And, and, and what Simon could have done without my help very much was walk that rail. I could not have possibly done it without his help. But you see, I did help him, and maybe I, he helped me. Maybe I helped him a little bit. But, but you see, we need to look around the, the room at people who need our help. And, and they, they can't walk a rail like you can, but you can sit down with them and they can, you can tell them a problem you're having at school. And if they can remember back that far, they might be able to give you some advice on how, on how to cope with a problem that you're having in school. We, we old people think the young people just don't realize how easy they have it. And the old, young people don't realize <laughs> how lucky off they are. But if you were a young person, you wouldn't think it was so easy. You got tons of homework, you got this and that, you got peer pressure, you got problems. See, so each age, each stage of our life is different. Brothers and sisters with little children have a different kind of life than brothers and sisters with teenagers. And those whose teenagers are now grown and they're married, they have different, different problems again. What I want you to do is, this afternoon, think for yourself what you can do that you haven't been doing for God. I hope you can think of something. If you can't, it's going to tell you right there you got a problem. If you can't think of something you could be doing that you're not doing, then you aren't thinking right. So, so we ought to get a sheet of paper out. We're not asking you to do this now, but when you get home, and what can I do for God? Service is not, what, how can I serve? And, and, and figure out what you can do and then start doing it and do it poorly until you're able to do it better. Don't not do it at all because you can't do it perfect. Do your best, says Paul to young Timothy, 
Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman that does not need to be ashamed, who correctly handles the word of God. So find something you can do and then begin to do it. Do what you can with what you have right where you are now. Not when I get out of school. Not when I get a better job. Not when the children are going. Not right now, today. You go out this afternoon. This is a Sunday afternoon. And most of you don't have to be at work until Monday morning. This afternoon, you do something for God by doing something for somebody else that you hadn't thought of until this class. And when you get home, or if you're on the road, you may, all the time you're driving home, you can think about what is it we can do. When you get home, you, you'll have some ideas. You might call up somebody and say, oh, sorry you couldn't go to the weekend. Uh, we had a good time, and let me tell you what happened. And maybe you can remember something that happened that you can share with somebody who wasn't able to come. You see, God works with weak people, and that's us. We're all weak. We're a bundle of flaws, and God knows every flaw you have. So you, you can't hide it from him. There's no use saying, well, I, you know, he knows but he wants you to overcome. That was the point of the hurdles. You have hurdles to jump, and you need to jump them. So Paul says to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that all, this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. So God here is telling us through Paul that you're going to be pressed on every side. You're going to be perplexed. You're going to be in despair. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to be struck. But you've got to keep getting up. Solomon talks about a man who falls down six times, but he gets up every time to the seventh. Don't just lie there and say, oh, woe is me. I got knocked down. Get up and get going again. Paul knew what it was to be discouraged. But what did he do when he was discouraged? He tried to encourage others. He had a thorn in his flesh and he didn't like it and he asked God to remove it and God said no. So he says, I take pleasure then in my infirmities. You see, God can work around your infirmities. I don't race people like I did Stephen Eggington anymore. I realize that I've outgrown that. <laughs> Because I can't race Steve anymore, does that mean I can't do anything anymore? No, there's something I can do. And whatever it is, get busy doing it. And when you love people, you, you, you try to think, what can I do for that person? You see, sometimes this backfires. This, this is, a, this is a, a case of a sister who had young children. And down the street, there was an old sister Jones. And, and, and so one day, the, the mother thought, we should find out how she is. So she said to the children, would you go down the street and see how old Sister Jones is today? So the kiddies ran off and they came back and they came back a few minutes. To the, she said, it's none of your business how old she is today. <laughs> now you see, <laughs> she said, go see how old Sister Jones is. She, meant, she was describing her, not asking for her age. <laughs> so... So what happens when this backfires? You can say, well, I'm never going to ask her again. You see, you, you have to be patient with people. Her, her little children misunderstood the mother, and, the, and the, the old sister misunderstood the kids. 
And so she needed to go down there and patch things up and say, I didn't really ask my children how old you were. I want to know how you are. And all the trouble would go away. But sometimes when we try to do something nice for somebody and it doesn't backfire, so that's the last time I ever do anything for you. And that's not the attitude either. You do things for people who don't even say thank you. They don't show any appreciation for what you do. And you keep on doing it. And you keep on keeping on because you're doing it not just for them. It's your service to the Lord. And so you need to keep pressing on for the mark for the prize of our high calling in Christ Jesus. We, we, we need to just keep on. But if you don't have a plan and you don't work your plan, then nothing will happen. Now, I've come a long ways to spend some time with you, and I'm thankful that you invited me, and I'm glad I came. But I want to tell you this right now. If you leave this place and you go out and go back to where you came from and everything is going to be the same as it was before you came here, I should have stayed home. I've wasted my time. I've wasted your time. I should never have bothered you. Because the whole purpose of these classes on the way of life is to help all of us change and do something better than we were doing it. And so I pray that that will be true. And I won't know it. And it's none of my business. I don't, I'm not prying. But, but I do pray that the thoughts, which were not mine, they were God's thoughts. He used me as his tool. I hope that they find fertile ground in your heart and bring forth glory and honor to your heavenly father. Why did God cause Jesus to go through everything that he endured for us? He was tempted in all points just like we are yet without sin. And that's such a beautiful thought. And the doctrine of the Trinity destroys it because you have a God who can't sin being tempted. And it was meaningless. But you see, you are having problems. Literally, God is helping solve other people's problems by giving you yours. You think about Job. Why did Job have all his problems? He was trying to convert three friends. His suffering was for their benefit. Sometimes your suffering is not for you, it's for their benefit. Paul suffered all kinds of things. The Lord Jesus learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Because he suffered these things, he understands what you're going through. And when you go to your heavenly Father in prayer and pray through Jesus, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. He says, I know, I've been there, I've done that. So if you are a former alcoholic, and alcoholics are told, Never to use the word former. I am an alcoholic. They may not have had a drink for 20 or 30 years. They're still an alcoholic. I don't know if you've ever been to an AA meeting in your life, but I have been to one. I was working with a young brother, a young man. He was not a brother. He was studying the truth. He was actually a doctor. He was a medical doctor. He had been a naval doctor. Did you know they specialized that far? He had been a doctor in the Navy. And he used to come to my house once a week to study. And when he started, he couldn't spell Bible. 
I mean, he could, but I mean, he knew nothing about the Bible. So we started really ground zero. But after a few, many sessions, he said to me one day, Bob, he believed that he needed to keep going to AA meetings to keep himself dry. He said, Bob, would you go to an AA meeting with me? Well, I didn't really want to go to an AA meeting, but I said, if you, do you want me to? He says, yes, I want you to go. I said, we'll, we'll go. Now, they have a, a big book, like you have an ALS diary. Well, they have a book of all the AA meetings in the world. And they have them by sections, because, you know, and he had one for our area. Now, he went to an AA meeting, because he lived across the town, West Los Angeles. He used to drive a long ways to my house every week. I assumed that this week I would go I was willing to drive to his area to go to his AA meeting with me. Oh no, he's so thoughtful of me. He looked up in his book. He found an AA meeting about eight blocks from my house. Now I've lived in my home for 43 years. I hadn't lived there that long then, about 30 maybe. And our kids had gone through all the schools. I had been a coach of a little league team. I mean, I knew a lot of people. I didn't want to go to an AA meeting eight blocks from my house. <laughs> you know, I'm going to walk in. Well, Bob, what are you doing here? You know, but he wanted me to. And so I did. And we walked in and I didn't know a soul there. I was so relieved. But I was quite impressed by the quality None of them were Christadelphians except he and I. And they never had a Christadelphian before and they probably never run since. But, but the reason I'm telling you this story is that brother is now active in Southern California helping people who are trying to break the drink habit. He knows the problems they're going through because he went through them himself. He is far more qualified to sympathize and empathize with an alcoholic than me. I'm not bragging, but I've never been one. I, 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 I can't really understand what it's like because I never was one. He understands. He can help. You take a person who used to smoke and there's a person trying to stop smoking. That person who was a smoker is more able to help the person kick the habit than I am, which never did smoke. So, so you, you see, even the problems, even the addictions, even the, the things that you've done which were wrong in the past well, are fitting you to help somebody today who is facing the problem that you have conquered. A mother with a colicky baby cries all night. She's at her wit's end. Another mother with teenage kids who remembers when they were colicky is able to help that sister far more than I can. A cancer survivor who's gone through chemo and radiation and they're now in remission and they just find out that one of the sisters in the meeting was told yesterday she has cancer. Now I can go see her but I don't emphasize the same as that person who's gone through it can. So you see, even the things that have happened in your life, which could have been bad things, and you have conquered them, now God has prepared you to look around and find somebody else who's facing this same kind of problem 
and you can step in and help them. So everything that's happening in our life is preparing us for the kingdom, even the bad things. And so use the experience that you've had to help someone who is not yet conquered the thing that you have been able to overcome. And so service is not an option. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. And so I want you this afternoon, God willing, I, I can't make you do this. You know it would be wrong. If I could make you, it would be wrong too. But I'm pleading with you to decide this afternoon on a piece of paper some things that you can do for God by helping others that you may not have been doing. Every one of us can preach. There's no, you don't have to know all the answers. I, well, I don't tell anybody I'm a Christian devil because I don't know how to answer the questions on the devil and the Trinity and mortal soul and all that. Just say you're a Christadelphian. We, we had a man who came into the truth from the radio program. We had radio programs those days, and, and he had known nothing. He was so alive for the truth. He never, ever exhorted in his entire life. He was so full of the truth. He used to say, I don't talk good. But he used to have a big tape recorder. Those great big things with reel-to-reels. And, and, and he would take that, carry that big thing over to somebody's house with a tape on it by a Christadelphian who he said, talk good. And he'd say, I want to play you something. And then they'd ask him some questions. I don't, I don't know. But, but he said, I'll, get it, I'll, I'll find out. He was always coming back to all the rest of us saying, how do you answer this question? You? But you saw, so he started off doing something poorly, but doing it, and he got better at it. He never, in his own mind, ever got good at it. He's in the hospital in a, double, in a room with two beds, and the guy in the other, other bed is a Marine. And he started talking to him about the truth. <laughs> Make a long story short, the, Mar the Marine got baptized and quit the Marines. But this man didn't do it alone. He said, I don't talk good. He, he, couldn't, he, couldn't, expl he couldn't explain away the devil or the trinity or any difficult subjects. Uh, my father's house of many mentioned, you know, I, I go to paradise. He, he didn't know how to answer that. Uh, but verily, I say to you today, you should be with me in paradise. He didn't know how to answer that. He knew that you didn't go to paradise that day. He, he knew that heaven was not a reward of the righteous. But he said, I'll get some answers for you. He'd get him something. Here's something to read. Let me play you this tape. You see, each one of you, one of the things you all have to do is become a preacher because God has nobody else in this world to do it except you. We, we can't hire the Jehovah's Witnesses to do it. They put us to shame in the, in the way that they go out knocking on doors and we don't do that very much and they get converts from it. They get a lot of rejections, but they get converts. We're finding in the mission field, if you just, just plant seeds, when you get home this weekend, tell people, Hope you can say this. I had a great weekend. What'd you do? Oh, I went to some Bible talks. Oh, Bible. What church? Christadelphian. Christadelphian. Over our way, nobody's ever heard of Christadelphian. I got a little story about Christadelphian. I do this with everybody I meet. On the airplane, wherever. Because most people have never heard of the word Christadelphian in America. We're not that good at preaching. We should be. In Australia, it's better, but it's not perfect here either. I've been talking to some people who are not... Christadelphians, and I mentioned I'm coming to a Christadelphian thing, and they never heard of you either. So it, it isn't universally known like the Catholics or the Presbyterians or something. But I say it's, we're the word Christ and Adelphia. And Adelphia is a Greek word. It simply means brother. 
Have you, do you think Philadelphia is a funny word? I always ask, if you ask people questions, they have to answer you. If you start preaching and talking and talking, they just turn you off and their eyes glaze over and you know you're not getting through. But if you ask them a question, do you think Philadelphia is a funny name? No. I say Philadelphia, you don't start laughing. Well, Philadelphia is actually two Greek words. It's the word philio, and that's the Greek word that means love. And Adelphia is a Greek word, which means brother. When you say philio, Adelphia, you're saying love brother. Now, we are Christ, Adelphia. The word Christ, that's not a funny word. Everybody's heard Christ. And the word Adelphia, and that's our name. And I go through this with everybody I meet. And so I had talked the truth to a man about 30 years before, and he had moved away, and he was a came back to Pasadena as a manager of a, of a new bank. And we were going to buy a piece of property for an office building, and I, we needed to borrow some money. And I thought, well, you remember me. He was a manager of a bank in Pasadena, and he moved to Texas, and he's back again. So I walked into his new bank, and he's sitting there in his big corner office with all glass around him, and he's on the telephone. And I talked to his secretary outside. I said, I'd like to see Mr. Gaskell when he gets off the phone. She says, sure, I'll, I'll, I'll tell him you're here. So I stand outside. She goes in and she says, uh, there's a man here to see you. His name is Bob Lloyd. So I walk into the office and Joe, come, it's Joe Gaskell. Joe, 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 how are you, Joe? And he says, hi, Bob, are you still a Philadelphian? <laughs> so, you know, he remembered something. He kind of botched it up a little bit. But the point is, all of us, one of the things you can do is you go out and tell other people you are a Christadelphian. And if they don't want to listen, it's not your problem. But Ezekiel says, if you don't tell them, it's your problem. If you tell them and they won't listen, it's their problem. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out it's better to be their problem than yours. So one of the things we want to do when you leave here today is decide you're going to be more persistent in sharing your hope with others. You don't have to do it well. Do it poorly till you get better at it. But believe me, the more you preach, the better you'll get at it. And so there's a lot, lots of homework for us to do when we leave here. Because this was a workshop. This was, was, this was not just to entertain. This was to say, this is a life-changing weekend, and we're going to leave this place and try to be more faithful in serving God. We're going to thank God for our hurdles. We're going to stop complaining when we have problems. We're going to realize life is a test. We're being tested, and, we, 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 and life is, is service is, is not an option. I mean, you've got things to do. And so yesterday you got around to it. Now, you knew it was around to it because it said it was a to it. If a thing says it's a to it, it's a to it. Now, it happened to be round, so it was around to it. And people say, I'll do something when I get around to it. You can't use this in any other countries except for English speaking. It doesn't work. <laughs> because it, it's, a, you know, it's a play on words. Now, today, you're going to get a new one. And it says it's a to it. So it's a tool. If it says it is, it is. But it's a little piece of wood. Now, you call little pieces of wood sticks. So this is a stick to it. And you are now 
to get around to it and seek first the kingdom of God, and now you are to stick to it and be steadfast, immovable, and always abound in the work of the Lord. So each of you now, we're going to pass these out in just a moment, and uh, take them home as reminders of what we talked about. You do have to get around to it and seeking first God's kingdom. You want to be in the kingdom more than anything else all, all the world, I know that. And now you have to keep on, keeping on, keeping on. And so I want to thank you for the patience that you've given to me in these classes over the last two days. And I'm going to borrow some words from Paul. He said goodbye to people he would never see again. They lived in Ephesus. He went in Ephesus, they traveled down to see Paul. But when they got there, he says, you will never see my face again. And so they walked to the boat, and they said goodbye. And they felt sad. And his words to them are my words to you. I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them that are sanctified. 